Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, reading today from the Free Grace Broadcaster, a quarterly put out by the people at Mount Zion Bible Church in Pensacola, Florida. The topic this quarter is stumbling blocks, and to speak on it today, we read the words of John Calvin. I think everyone in this audience knows who John Calvin was, the French reformer, born in France, of course, and very effective in the Reformation lived from 1509 to 1564, and he writes an article called Abusing Christian Liberty. We must carefully note that Christian freedom is, in all its parts, a spiritual thing. Its whole force consists in quieting frightened consciences before God that are perhaps disturbed and troubled over forgiveness of sins or anxious whether unfinished works corrupted by the faults of our flesh, are pleasing to God, or tormented about the use of things indifferent. Accordingly, it is perversely interpreted, both by those who allege it as an excuse for their desires, that they may abuse God's good gifts to their own lust, and by those who think that freedom does not exist unless it is used before men, and consequently in using it have no regard for weaker brethren. Today, men sin to a greater degree in the first way. There is almost no one whose resources permit him to be extravagant, who does not delight in lavish and ostentatious banquets, bodily apparel, and domestic architecture, who does not wish to outstrip his neighbors in all sorts of elegance, who does not wonderfully flatter himself in his opulence. And all these things are defended under the pretext of Christian freedom. They say that these are things indifferent. I admit it, provided they are used indifferently. But when they are coveted too greedily, when they are proudly boasted of, when they are lavishly squandered, things that were of themselves otherwise lawful are certainly defiled by these vices. Paul's statement best distinguishes among things indifferent. He says, To the clean, all things are clean. But to the corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is clean, inasmuch as their minds and consciences are corrupted. Titus 1.15 For why are the rich cursed, who have their consolation, who, who are full, who laugh now, who sleep on ivory couches, whose feasts have harp and lyre and timbrel and wine? Surely ivory and gold and riches are good creations of God, permitted, indeed appointed, for men's use by God's providence. And we have never been forbidden to laugh, or to be filled, or to join new possessions to old or ancestral ones, or to delight in musical harmony, or to drink wine, true indeed. But where there is plenty to wallow in delights, to gorge oneself, to intoxicate mind and heart with present pleasures and be always panting after new ones, such are very far removed from a lawful use of God's gifts. Away then with uncontrolled desire, away with immoderate prodigality, away with vanity and arrogance, in order that men may, with a clean conscience, cleanly use God's gifts. Where the heart is tempered to this soberness, they will have a rule for lawful use of such blessings. But should this moderation be lacking, 
Even base and common pleasures are too much. It is a true saying that under coarse and rude attire there often dwells a heart of purple, while sometimes under silk and purple is hid a, a simple humility. And thus let every man live in his station, whether slenderly, moderately, or plentifully, so that all may remember God nourishes them to live, not to luxuriate. And let them regard this as the law of Christian freedom, to have learned with Paul, in whatever state they are, to be content, to know how to be humble and exalted, to have been taught in any and all circumstances to be filled, and to hunger, to abound, and to suffer want. Against the abuse of Christian freedom, to the injury of the weak, in this respect many also err. They use their freedom indiscriminately and unwisely, as though it were not sound and safe if men did not witness it. By this heedless use, they very often offend weak brothers. You can see some persons today who reckon their freedom does not exist unless they take possession of it by eating meat on Fridays. I do not blame them for eating meat. But this false notion must be driven from their minds, for they ought to think that from their freedom they obtain nothing new in men's sight but before God, and that it consists as much in abstaining as in using. If they understand that it makes no difference in God's sight whether they eat meat or eggs or wear red or black clothes, this is enough and more. The conscience, to which the benefit of such freedom was due, is now set free. Consequently, even if men thereafter abstain from meat throughout life and ever wear clothes of one color, they are not less free. Indeed, because they are free, they abstain with a free conscience. But in having no regard for their brother's weakness, they slip most disastrously, for we ought so to bear with it that we do not heedlessly allow what would do them the slightest harm. But it is sometimes important for our freedom to be declared before men, and this I admit. Yet we must, with the greatest caution, hold to this limitation, that we do not abandon the care of the weak, whom the Lord has so strongly commended to us. As far as offenses, here then I, I shall say something about them, how they are to be distinguished, which ones avoided, which overlooked, from this we may afterward be able to determine what place there is for our freedom among men. Now, I like that common distinction between an offense given and one received, inasmuch as it has the clear support of Scripture and properly expresses what is meant. If you do anything with unseemly levity or wantonness or rashness out of its proper order or place, so as to cause the ignorant and the simple to stumble, such will be called an offense given by you, since by your fault it came about that this sort of offense arose. And to be sure, one speaks of an offense as given in some matter when its fault arises from the doer of the thing itself. An offense is spoken of as received when something otherwise not wickedly or unseasonably committed is by ill will or malicious intent of mind wrenched into occasion for offense. Here is no given offense, but those wicked interpreters baselessly so understand it. None but the weak is made to stumble by the first kind of offense, but the second gives offense to persons of bitter disposition, 
and pharisaical pride. Accordingly, we shall call the one the offense of the weak, the other that of the Pharisees. Thus we shall so temper the use of our freedom as to allow for the ignorance of our weak brothers, for, for the rigor of the Pharisees, no, not at all. For Paul fully shows us in many passages what must be yielded to weakness. Receive, he says, him that is weak in the faith. Also, let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. And many passages with the, the same meaning, which are more suitably sought in their place than referred to here. The sum is this. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Romans fifteen one and 2. In another place, but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block. To them that are weak, First Corinthians 8, 9. Likewise, whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no questions for conscience' sake. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. First Corinthians 10. Also in another passage, brethren, you've been called to liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another, Galatians 5.13. So indeed it is. Our freedom is not given against our feeble neighbors, for love makes us their servants in all things. Rather, it is given that, having peace with God in our hearts, we may also live at peace with men. We learn from the Lord's words how much we ought to regard the offense of the Pharisees. He bids us, let them alone because they are blind leaders of the blind. His disciples had warned him that the Pharisees had been offended by his talk. He answered that they were to be ignored and their offense disregarded. Now regarding the right use of Christian freedom and the right renunciation of it, still the matter will remain in doubt unless we grasp whom we are to consider weak and whom we are to consider Pharisees. If this distinction is removed, I do not see what use for freedom really remains in relation to offenses, for it will always be in the greatest danger. But Paul seems to me most clearly to have defined, both by teaching and by example, how far our freedom must either be moderated or purchased at the cost of offenses. When Paul took Timothy into his company, he circumcised him, but he could not be brought to circumcise Titus. Here was a diversity of acts, but no change of purpose or mind. That is, in circumcising Timothy, although he was free from all, he made himself a slave to all. And unto the Jews he became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law, he became as one under the law, that he might gain them that are under the law. All things to all men, that he might save some as he elsewhere writes, we have due control over our freedom if it makes no difference to us to restrict it when it is fruitful to do so. Now, what he had in mind when he strongly refused to circumcise Titus, he testifies when he thus writes, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that, because of false brethren, unawares, brought in, 
who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, and not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. We have need also to assert our freedom, if through the unjust demands of false apostles it be endangered in weak consciences. We must at all times seek after love and look toward the edification of our neighbor. All things, he says elsewhere, are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Nothing is plainer than this rule, that we should use our freedom if it results in the edification of our neighbor. But if it does not help our neighbor, then we should forego it. There are those who pretend a Pauline prudence in abstaining from freedom. Well, there is nothing to which they apply it less than to the duties of love. To protect their own repose, they wish all mention of freedom to be buried, when it is no less important sometimes to use our neighbor's freedom for their good and edification than on occasion to restrain it for their own benefit. But it is the part of a godly man to realize that free power— in outward matters, has been given him in order that he may be the more ready for all the duties of love. John Calvin from Institutes of the Christian Religion. All of this used by permission. Next time, Thomas Brooks. Thank you for being with us today. And uh, do look around the site. You might just find some other things that will be a blessing to you. In fact, I'm sure you will. But uh, if you'd like to contact these people at the Free Grace Broadcaster, Chapel Library, uh, you can have this periodical that I'm reading from sent to you every three months, free of charge. Just send an email to them at chapel at mountzion.org, chapel at mountzion.org. Well, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and this audio is being released on 1212. 2022. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.